Please rise for the reading of God's word from Matthew, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 12 through verse 23. Hear now God's word. Now when Jesus heard that John had been been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, Capernaum, uh, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, uh, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, uh, walking, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And thus far, the reading of God's word and all God's people said. You may be seated. This morning, we will continue to see how uh, in the days of Isaiah the prophet, in the midst of very dark and desperate conditions, God made promises of deliverance to his people and brought those to pass. These prophetic promises were ultimately fulfilled in the arrival and the work of his servant king, Jesus Christ. Presbyterian minister James Smith wrote in 1859, It is very unpleasant to be in the dark, especially if you are in a strange place. This was my lot a few nights ago. I knew I knew what I wanted, I knew where I wanted to get to, but it was so dark I could not find the right road. I groped and I fumbled about. For a long time I had not felt my need of a light so much, nor realized its value as I did then. It was a considerable time before I found my way, and in doing so, I got several knocks and became very chilly. To be alone in the dark is unpleasant. And a friendly voice under such circumstances is very cheering. After I had gained my point, I began to think of darkness as representing ignorance, cruelty, and crime. What a solemn testimony is that of the prophet. Darkness has covered the earth and gross darkness the people. How affecting the prayer of the psalmist. Have respect unto the covenant for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. And how cheering the announcement of another. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. And what a lovely representation Jesus gives of himself when he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me 
shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I wonder not that Solomon should say, Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing. It is for the eyes to behold the sun. What would the, what would the world be naturally without the sun? Just as such a condition would be morally and spiritually without the truth and without the Savior. In the early chapters of the Gospels, we see two men. Uh, we see them begin their public ministries by proclaiming the kingdom of God. The very first words of John the Baptist were, and we find this in Matthew 3, verse 2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in our text today, in verse 17, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says the exact same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John began his public ministry in Judea. Jesus began his public ministry in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Then Matthew tells us that this was in fulfillment of the prophet, what the prophet Isaiah had spoken. And I'm going to read the actual text from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, which says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Neptali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And so remember in Isaiah chapter 8, right before that, uh, that portion of the prophecy, uh, it closed in total gloom with the Assyrians having totally devastated North Galilee. This included the tribal areas of Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali were two of the twelve sons of Jacob and two of the twelve tribes of Israel. And in the history of Israel, these tribes certainly did live in darkness a good bit of the time. They had been unfaithful. They had been rebellious. In fact, God had judged them for this by letting them suffer defeat at the hands of the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And since that time, the northern tribes were scattered and they were mixed with other people who had been imported, which was common in that time. When you captured a land, you would export people. You'd mix them up so that you could break up their culture and uh, try to have control. And so that had happened. And so here in the, in the Galilee area were uh, some of God's people, some of those tribes, but also mixed in were pagan Gentiles. And so then the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 9 speak of this brilliant light that is going to come, and that light will be Jesus, the Messiah. We should recall that in Genesis 1, when darkness was on the face of the deep, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. So too, the new creation that will come with Christ will dispel the darkness. The Gospel of John tells us that in him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that Jesus was the true light which gives light to every man. In John 11, just before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he said this, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. 
If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And so this dark Galilee, it's been dark for many, many years, is the place where Jesus announces and launches his kingdom. He specifically goes to this place that has been identified as dark. This first proclamation regarding the coming of his kingdom certainly would not be his last. In fact, he will go on to comment on the kingdom or the reign of God over a hundred times in 70 passages. That's how central this is. Matthew 4.23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. But Jesus is not speaking about what we usually think of as a political kingdom. That was certainly a mistake that was made by the Jews in the first century and before, and it's a, it's, I think it's a, it's a mistake that we continue to make sometimes. He is going to exercise his royal authority in a different way. In this kingdom, God's reign and his reign must be visible in, uh, visible in, uh, excuse me, in, in this kingdom, God's reign and his reign must be as visible in the earth as it is in heaven. So, for example, the kingdom is not a political entity with geographical borders. In fact, it is not even limited to a particular time and place. Rather, the followers of Jesus will carry out God's will individually and corporately, privately and publicly. This is how the kingdom comes. Commentator Daniel Doriani comments, Therefore, to enter the kingdom is not to cross a border, passport in hand. It is to yield to God's rule or reign. The prayer, Your kingdom come, is explained by the next petition, Your will be done. When God's kingdom comes, His will is done because His disciples accept and fulfill His will in every sphere of life. With Jesus, the kingdom then has been inaugurated. It has begun, but it has not been yet completed. The beaches have been stormed, and now the occupying forces have begun to spread out. We've seen that over the last 2,000 years. Here we sit, part of those conquered people who've been brought into his kingdom, new citizens with a new king reigning in our hearts. Nevertheless, the death and resurrection of Jesus certainly have dealt a decisive blow to Satan. In Matthew 12, Jesus said, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first bind the strong man and then he'll plunder the house? And in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of of the dragon, serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations anymore until a thousand years are finished. That's what happened at Pentecost. Prior to then, the nations had been in darkness. But now Christ has come. Now the kingdom has come. Now the gospel is being proclaimed. Light is being spread abroad. 
Satan can no longer deceive entire nations. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so then Jesus actually quotes Isaiah again in this regard in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and he said this, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. You're not going to read about it in the news. There's not going to be a photograph of it. There's not going to be a big coronation. It does not come with observation, nor will they say, See over here, or see over there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom starts within you, and then it is seen outwardly. Moreover, the kingdom is here and now, and we need to think and act like it. We live under the King, the very King who created the universe and who will bring every knee to bow. Philippians 2, 9-11 God also has highly exalted Jesus and given Him the name which is above every name. That at the time, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord or King to the glory of God the Father. If you just let that soak in a minute. That's that's the King whose kingdom has started in you. What difference does that make? Is this sweet Jesus just sitting up in heaven, wringing his hands, waiting for you to get there? Or is this King Jesus? That King, where every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow. That's who you serve. That's who reigns over you. That's who is your Savior. This means we can, this means we should Be bold and confident because we serve presently the one who is reigning. We are operating openly and we are also operating subversively. God uses sinners, prodigals, and nobodies to advance his kingdom in this world. And he's been doing it for centuries. Pastor Eugene Peterson described his pastoral work this way. I am undermining the kingdom of self and establishing the kingdom of God. I am being subversive. 
As a pastor, I don't like being viewed as nice but insufficient. I bristle when a high-energy executive leaves the place of worship with the comment, this was wonderful, pastor, but now we have to get back to the real world, don't we? I had thought we were in the most real world, a world revealed as God's, a world believed to be invaded by God's, by God's grace and turning on the pivot of Christ's resurrect, uh, crucifixion and resurrection. The executive's comment brings me up short. He isn't taking this seriously. I bristle and I want to assert my importance I want to force the recognition of the key position I hold in the economy of God and in His economy, if only He knew it. And then, and then I remember that I am a subversive. My long-term effectiveness depends on my not being recognized for who I really am. If He realized that, uh, that I actually believe the American way of life is doomed to destruction, and that another kingdom is right now being formed in secret to take its place, he wouldn't be uh, at all pleased. If he knew what I was was really doing and the difference it was making, he would fire me. Yes, I believe that. I believe that the kingdoms of this world... America and Venezuelan and Chinese will all become the kingdoms of our God and Christ, and I believe this new kingdom is already among us. That is why I am a pastor, to introduce people to the real world and train them to live in it. I learned early that the methods of my work must correspond to the realities of the kingdom, the methods that make the kingdom of America strong, Economic, military, technological, informational are not suited to making the kingdom of God strong. I have, I have had to learn a new methodology, truth-telling and love-making, prayer and parable. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. So this kingdom will crescendo and God will root out all out the cause of every sin and the people of every nation will stream into the kingdom. Luke 13:39 they will come from the east and the west from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. The righteous, Matthew 13, 43, the righteous will shine like the sun. Now this means Christians should be optimists or perhaps even post-millennialists. Now the second part of our text has to do with the call of disciples. And we're going to read about the call of four disciples, but of course we're going to see how that applies to us because we're also disciples who have been called. So after his initial announcement of the kingdom, Jesus began to call some specific men to to become his disciples or students. There will be many more disciples called by him, again, including you and me, 
But these first four will play central roles in the early advancement of Christ's kingdom. These were two sets of brothers. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, if all we had was this text, it would seem very odd for four men to immediately leave their nets and their boats and their father to follow Jesus. But we also have the other Gospels that provide us with some broader context. The disciples, these disciples, had met Jesus several times over a span of a year or so before they began to follow him. First, John the Baptist told people that one greater than him was coming, so they had no doubt heard that. Second, the day after John baptized Jesus, here's what we read in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 41. John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. So those are two disciples of John. And then we read in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found, uh, he first found his own brother, Simon, that's Peter, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So this is a year before. So you got that? day Jesus baptized, he hears John. He becomes a follower of Jesus. He now goes and tells his brother. Then Jesus led Peter and others to a great catch of fish. Um, This happens again before this actual calling of of these men. And right in the night, excuse me, a great catch of fish right after a night of coming up with nothing but empty nets. So in Luke chapter 5, So it was, as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake and saw the two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So they're hearing the teaching of Jesus. Now they're in a boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his knees, saying, Depart from me, 
For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also, remember he called another boat over to help? And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So we can see that Jesus has already been preparing the four men to hear what he had to say before he calls them to follow him. The call of Jesus to follow him, of course, is quite dramatic and it is certainly demanding. He calls people from one established way of life to change directions. And he calls them even from their families. Matthew 10:37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. A pretty high bar. A good summary of this high bar is found in Luke 14, verse 33, where Jesus says, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. In other words, you're going to have to be willing to leave everything behind. On the front end, this appears to be demanding way too much. Yet if we continue to listen to Jesus, we soon learn and discover that what he, he promises that we will receive far more than we give up. In Mark 10, he told Peter this, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So faith in Jesus is the essential thing since the promise of increase isn't immediately present. Hebrews 11.6, But without faith it's impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now for the brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, their call is unique as it will become their vocation. Nevertheless, all of us, you, me, all of us are called to reorient everything in our lives around him. While you might not physically leave your business, job, or home, your business, your job, and your home now come under the kingship of Jesus Christ, his lordship. Both you and everything that is under your control now belong to him. This is the same situation we saw with Abraham, right? When God says, am I going to tell Abraham what I'm going to do for him? For I have known him in order that he 
may command his household and his children after him that they keep the way of the Lord, that they follow the Lord. They come under his lordship to do righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had spoken to him. So the promises that he he gives are the result. Abraham, you're under me. I'm your Lord. Oh, and all that other, all those things I gave you, your wife, your children, your servants, your land, your cattle, all that, those are mine too. So I want you to take charge of that on my behalf and teach them to follow me. And when you do, then I'm going to bless you. In fact, I'm going to bless you so much that the whole world is going to be blessed through you. The central message of Jesus throughout his ministry is the good news that the kingdom of heaven has come near. doesn't get much more near than in here. This means there's a new ruler, which means he's taking charge of a world that has rebelled against him, one person at a time. The result is, as we read in our text, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, Light has dawned. Chesterton said, The issue is now clear. It is between light and darkness. And everyone must choose his side. Let's pray. O Lord, without the light of our Savior, we would still be groping in darkness. For like the Gentiles in Christ's day, we too were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, we who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We too have seen a great light. Now, O Lord, let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The difference between darkness and light is the difference between despair and hope, between fear and delight, between death and life. Indeed, in the outer darkness, the Bible tells us there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible describes mankind this way in Acts 17. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Jesus said, I have come as, as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And then Paul wrote, describing us, the people of God, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are. Walk or live as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, 
but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our Redeemer and our Mediator, without whom we have no standing with you. Indeed, we have been washed by his blood, and though our sins were as scarlet, we are now white as snow. For his sake alone, we can stand in your presence. We can know the assurance of your pardon and the pleasure of your countenance. O Lord, as we go forth from this place, having met with you and having again worshipped in the assembly of your people, we delight and rejoice in your presence. We also pray that your grace will now be evident in us so that we might glorify you and serve you acceptably as you have instructed us. We now cast all our cares upon you, for you care for us. Bless our feasting and our resting, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Amen.